Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Ja 
We're reading from Srimad uh, Bhagavatam, the cream of the crop of the Vedic literature, with translation and purpose by His Divine Grace Srila Prabhupada. And we are on text 9 of the third chapter of this Canto 4. Tasming baginyo mama bartribi svakair. Drubam gamishanti suri didrikshava. 
अहम चस्मताये सहोपनीत पिभारमर्तिन्यो मम वर्तृबी स्वक्रुव गेश्यासुरीदृक्षव अहम चस्मताये सहोपनीत पिभारमर्तिन्यो मम वर्तृबी स्वक्रुव गेश्यासुरीदृक्षव अहम चस्मताये सहोपनीत पिभारमर्तिन्यमर्तिस्वकाय ृभंगे सहोपनीत Just read the uh, uh, word by word by myself. Tasmin in that sacrifice, Baginya sisters, Mama Mai, Bartribi with her husband Swakai, their own Truvam surely, Gamishanti will go Surit Dridikshava, desiring to meet the relatives Aham, I, Cha, and Tasmin in that assembly, Babata with you, Lord Shiva, Abhikamaye, I desire Saha with Upanitam given Paribarham. Ornaments of decoration are hitum to accept. Translation: I think that all my sisters must have gone must have gone to this great sacrificial ceremony with their husbands just to see their relatives. I also desire to decorate myself with the ornaments given to me by my father and go there with you to participate in that assembly. Please repeat: I think that all my sisters must have gone to this great sacrificial ceremony. With their husbands, just to see their relatives. I also desire to decorate myself with the ornaments given to me by my father, 
and go there with you to participate in that assembly. It is a woman's nature to want to decorate herself with ornaments and nice dresses to, and accompany her husband to social functions, meet friends and relatives, and enjoy life in that way. This propensity is not unusual, for women is the basic principle of material enjoyment. Therefore, in Sanskrit, the word for woman is stri, which means one who expands the field of material enjoyment. In the material world, there is an attraction between woman and men. This is the arrangement of conditional life. A woman attracts a man, and in that way, the scope of material activities involving house, wealth, children, and friendship increases, and thus, instead of decreasing one's material demands, one becomes entangled in material enjoyment. Lord Shiva, however, is different. Therefore, his name is Shiva. It's auspicious. He is not at all attracted by material enjoyment, although his wife, Sati, was the daughter of a very, very great leader and was given to him by the request of Brahma. Lord Shiva was reluctant, but Sati, as a woman, the daughter of a king, wanted enjoyment. She wanted to go to her father's house, just as her other sisters might have done, and meet them and enjoy social life. Here, she specifically indicated that she would decorate herself with the ornaments given by her, her father. He, she did not say that she would decorate herself with the ornaments given by her husband because her husband was callous about such matters. He did not know how to decorate his wife and take part in social life because he was always in ecstasy with thoughts of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. According to the Vedic system, a daughter is given a sufficient dowry at the time of her marriage and therefore Sati was also given a dowry by her father and ornaments were included. It is also the custom that the husband gives some ornament, ornaments, but here it is particularly mentioned that her husband, being materially almost nothing, could do so, could not do so. Therefore, she wanted to decorate herself with the ornaments given by her father. It was fortunate for Sati that Lord Shiva did not take the ornaments from his wife and spend them for ganja, because those who imitate Lord Shiva in smoking ganja exploit everything from household affairs. They take all their wife's property and spend it on smoking intoxication, and similar other activities. Okay. Where is my seatbelt? Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksur Militam Jena Tasmai Shri Guravinamaha Ukam Karoti Vachalam Pandum Nagati Kirim Yatkipatam Ham Bande Shri Gurundintaranam Paramananda Madhavam Shri Chaitanya Mishwaram I will request the blessings of everybody present particularly the ladies who have been maligned uh, here, uh, so I can say something coherent and Krishna conscious. So, first of all, the word Sri means, it really means to expand, but in, in the sense also of having children. So it's not that expand, everything that they do is for material enjoyment. We can see, and even Prabhupada mentioned this, that women are more akin and uh, prone to religious activities than men are. So you, you can see that, um, well, today we have equal, uh, equal amount of men and women, but the women are always present in religious activities and functions and all sorts of sacrifices. And yeah, maybe they want to show their new, you know, the new Sorry, their new Anoki and Fabindia stuff, but not necessarily so. They are they actually pious by nature, and and men are a little more heady, and they don't you know they don't have uh, they don't have soft a soft a heart as women do. 
So it's, it's hard for them to, to accept uh, things like that there is someone better than them, like the Supreme Person. So um, this, is, this is an advantage that women have. Also, here, um, says a woman attracts a man, and in that way the scope of material activities involving house, wealth, gender, etc. Uh, increases or expands. But also, men uh, are attracted to women, and women are attracted to men. It's not, not like a one-sided thing. This is, a, this is something going on in the material world. Because if, if men were attracted to women and women weren't attracted to men, then there will be no, no union. So if one of them was not uh, part of the deal, then, then it's over. Well, it's just a one-sided thing. So this is a tit-for-tat. It's not just like women are the, the, the devil and men are the saints that they just torture by women putting all sorts of ornaments and dresses and attracting them to, to their... Uh, web of deceit and, and material, material life. This is not like that at all. People want what they want and they unite because they both have desires. And when it, when it comes to, again, when it comes to religious functions, women are much better at that. They're more adept, they're more um, attracted to religious activities, they're more pious. They, uh, if you see yeah, pious countries, you know, Catholic countries like you know, South America or Poland or anywhere else, you'll see a lot more women than men in churches and functions and so on. And in India too. If you go to a temple in India, the women will elbow you out of the way and to go to the altar to see God. That's a fact. Men will just, you know, just take a couple of rupees and, you know, take the kids and show their friends and so on. But women are really eager. There's some fervor involved. So um, I don't think it's, it's all like just one-sided and the, you know, the women are the, the cause of material life and, and men are poor victims that they are subjected to this undue attraction that they, if they were by themselves, uh, they would you know, they will never think about material life or women or anything like that. This is, this is not a fact. The material world goes on by this very strong sex attraction, but it's, it takes two to tango. This is it's not just women. It's not. The men are avid and willing participants in this dance that Maya is creating for everybody. So, don't... Uh, yeah, yeah, in the early times, you know, some devotees used to call the, the ladies in the temple Maya Devi. You know, just watch out with Maya Devi, and they they will they will dress you know in orange, saffron, peach, whatever color it is, and and in in India, even the, the sannyasis will will um, and brahmacharis will um, challenge each other. You know, is your is the color of your saffron cloth, uh, the natural dye, or, because there's one type of dye that it shows if you're actually uh, not celibate, let's say. And uh, so this is, this is like a 
It's like a game. It's like a game that goes on. But, but not anymore, really. Um, women are very intelligent. They, they can preach and teach, and they can do whatever, whatever men can do. Maybe they can't lift the same amount of weight or run as fast, but so what? Neither can I. So there you have it. So in this case, Sati, who was accustomed to royal life, you can imagine, she was a princess. You know, Daksha was kind of a king. Uh, all of a sudden, marries this guy, doesn't have a house. You know, that's the first problem. Doesn't, doesn't have any steady job, you know, with steady income. You know, Lord Shiva is unemployed, really. He's, he doesn't have a paid job. And uh, so Sati was, she more or less knew what she was getting into. And uh, her husband is a, extraordinary, an extraordinary figure. And he shows up in many parts of the Bhagavatam. He's, he's very unusual and he's very Krishna conscious. And he actually doesn't have any, not that he ha doesn't have any social skills, because, you know, just sometimes husbands do not have social skills, but didn't, didn't have any interest in social interaction. No small talk, no, no, this family functions, you know, no seeing the relatives. He was pretty happy, absorbed in thoughts of Sankarshan. Whereas Sati, she, had, she wasn't as Krishna conscious, um, but she was actually thinking of her husband and trying to please him, although she had attachment for her father. Well, at least temporarily, eventually that faded away quite quickly and drastically. She, matter of fact, she was so uh, disgusted with being uh, being a blood relative of her dad that didn't want to have that body anymore. Just, I don't want any links with someone like, like him. So, this is, um, I, will, I will say no more. Uh, and here at the end, it is good, Prabhupada said that Lord Shiva didn't spend her dowry, you know, buying ganja, ganja. Though in India it grows everywhere, you don't have to buy it, and so does in Colorado and California and many other places. But this, uh, this ganja smoking is not spiritual, it's not a spiritual activity. Because you can't really expect to, uh, for self-realization to be cheap, to that God just all of a sudden makes his um, darshan available just because you're smoking some weed. That, that, is, that doesn't happen. It's, you have, as the Brahma Samhita said, Premanjana Bhakti Bilochanena. This is, this is the, the ointment of love, that's the price, not ganja. Yeah. You can smoke whatever you want until you turn blue in the face and still you won't see God. The only way to see Him is through love. Just like um, the, any way, the only way to see us in our most personal, vulnerable, intimate way is to become a loving friend. No other way will do. Just, you can't torture, you can't 
push you away into, into uh, intimacy. You have to actually give your love and your trust and etc. etc. So Krishna wants it exactly the same way. Yesterday, before we get into the uh, um, exchanges and opening for realizations and reflections and so on, yesterday was the disappearance day of Vamsidas Babaji and uh, Raghunanda Thakur. This is the second time that I follow your class and you don't mention the, the disappearing boys. So um, I, I brought a book that has some information on the biography of these uh, great Vaishnavas. And I would like to, if you indulge me, I would like to read a little bit. Because this is, uh, these are not ordinary people, these are our family. So we're going to talk about some of our relatives now. Srila Raghunandan Thakur, the third member of the Chaturvyuha, Pradyumna, took part in Radha Madhava's Leela in Vraja as Krishna's intimate friend of Priya Narma Saka. He has now appeared as Raghunandan, whose body is non different from that of Sri Chaitanya. This is from a Gauraganadesha Deepika. Raghunandan was born into a family of physicians in the Saka year 1432, which is 1510 AD. His father's name was Mukunda Das. His mother's name was unknown. Mukunda Das was Narhari Sarkar Thakur's older brother. In the 15th chapter of the Madhya Leela of Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is clearly said that Mukunda Das was a physician to the king. Superficially, he appears to be engaged in government service as physician to the king, but in his inner life, he is filled with divine love. Who can know the extent of his love? The Chaitanya Charitamrita. Once, when Mukunda Das was engaged in treating, a, treating the king, he saw a peacock feather and fainted. This incident is also described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Like Narahari, they make their home in Srikanda. Mukunda Das' home is about one mile from the Srikanda station. Raghunandan Thakur took birth on the Vasanta Panchami day. His uncle, Narahari, took a great deal of interest in raising Raghunandan, for whom he had much affection. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu indicated that one's importance increases with the depth of devotion by telling Mukunda Das that his son was really his father. The three most important devotees from Sri Kanda were Mukunda Das, Raghunandan, and Narahari. Mahaprabhu asked Mukunda Das, Are you Raghunandan's father? And he is your son, or he is your father, and you his son. Tell me, so that I can put my doubts to, re doubts to rest. Mukunda answered, Raghunandan is my father, and I am his son, rest assured. Whatever devotion we have comes from him, therefore I see him as my father. When he heard Mukunda Das answer, Mahaprabhu was thrilled and said, He from whom we imbibe devotion should always be considered our senior. This is very nice. From his early childhood, Raghunandan Thakur would feed the family Gopinatha's deities Ladus. Uddhava Das has written a song in which his, this lila is described. Mukunda Das lived in the village of Srikanda where his household deity was named Gopinath. One day he had to go somewhere to work and he asked Raghunandan to do the service. He said, in this house we worship Krishna, so I want you to be sure to give him something to eat. And then he left. 
Raghunanda did as his father had ordered and made the offering to the deity. Raghunanda was just a child, and in his simplicity he said to Gopinath, Eat, eat. Krishna was controlled by love, so he did as the child told him, and he ate everything on the plate without leaving even a grain of rice. When Mukunda Das returned, he asked the boy to bring him the prasad from the offering he had made. The child answered, Father, Krishna ate everything and left no remnants. Mukunda was so astonished at his child's wondrous words that he asked him to make another offering. This time after he left the house, he returned and hid to watch what his son did. Raghunandan joyfully placed a ladle in Krishna's hand and said in a commanding voice, Eat, eat! When Krishna had eaten half of the ladle, Raghunandan saw Mukunda Das in the doorway. Mukunda saw that Krishna did not take another bite and that the half-eaten ladle remained in his hand. This caused him to be filled with love. He embraced the child and his tears of joy rained from his eyes, spoke to him in a broken voice. To this day, fortunate people came to Srikanda to see the half-eaten ladle in Gopinata's hand. Come to Srikanda. Raghunandan is no different from Cupid himself, says Udavadas with great feeling. All the Mahantas felt fascinated to see the Gopinath Didi, whom Raghunandan had fed ladus. That's from Bhakti Ratnakar. Narhari Sarkar Thakur gave meat to Nityananda Prabhu and Mahaprabhu from the pond right next to their home. The pond became known as Madhu Pushkarini. The legend is told that a kadamba tree that grew next to this pond always had two flowers blooming regardless of the season as a result of Raghunandan's miraculous powers. According to the Gaudiya Vaishnava Abhidhana, another miraculous event took place in Raghunandan's life. One day Abhiram Thakur came to Shikhan and paid his obeisances to Raghunandan. Then he embraced them and melted with feelings of prema. Raghunandan started to dance and sing kirtan. While doing so, one of his ankle bells slipped from his foot and went flying off, landing four miles away in a kai hat near his disciple Krishnadasa's house. Later, in order to commemorate the event, an artificial pond was excavated in that village and given the name Nupurukund. Mahaprabhu, the father of Sankirtan, gave his adopted son, Raghunandan Thakur, the authority to offer the garland on the day before the Sankirtan Jagya, the Adivas, and to make the final offering at the Jagya's end. Raghunandan Thakur accompanied the Bengali devotees to Puri every year at Chaturmasya. He would dance with his uncle Narahari at the Ratayatra festival in a group formed by the residents of Srikanda. He participated in the Kachuri festival organized by Narottan Thakur at Gadadara's festival in Katva, and at the commemorative festival for Narahari Sarkar Thakur in Srikanda. Some people said, anyone who is dear to Raghunandan will win Mahaprabhu's mercy for life after life. Others said, Raghunandan is so merciful that he gives life to the most humble and fallen. Some said, what humility, there is no one who is his equal. And others, he is as beautiful as Cupid himself. Srila Raghunandan Das Thakur had great affection for Srinivas Acharya. Prior to his disappearance, he consoled Srinivas that despite the difficult times, he would be able to spread Vaishnavism in the future. A difficult time is coming in which people will succumb to various doubts. Narahari Prabhu wrote in his Sri Krishna Bhajanamrita. Once our Lord Krishna Chaitanya and his companion Nityananda Prabhu have ended their incarnation, the Vaishnavas in this age of Kali will become more anxious with every passing day. Whether very advanced, somewhat advanced, or neophyte, their hearts will nearly always be filled with doubt. But don't let this worry you. Lord Goranga would accomplish many great works through you. I bless you that you will remain long on this earth 
and then you, all your followers, protect our Lord's religion. Those who are opposed to devotion to Krishna will become devotees by your influence, and they will take shelter of you. Raghunanda Thakur bequeathed the service of his Gorgopal Didi to his son, Kanai Thakur, and then left this world on the fourth day of the waxing moon, Shuklak Chaturti, in the month of Shravan. Kanai Thakur gave a feast as part of his father's last rites. Raghunanda slowly became hidden to mortal eyes while repeating the names of Sri Krishna Chaitanya again and again. How glorious is that day of Shravan Shukla Chaturti yesterday. Will anyone not sing the glories of Raghunandan Thakur? That's from a Bhakti Ratnakar. Now, let's hear a little bit about Lamsidas Babaji. The Paramahamsa Avadut. This article is based on other articles that previously appeared in the old Gaudiya magazines and various statements made by, made by Shilavakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj and his disciples who know Vamsidas Babaji personally. Shilavamsidas Babaji appeared in the village of Majidpur in the Jamalpur district of Bangladesh, not far from the city of Jamalpur. Before the partition of India, this city was formerly in the district of Mimansingh. According to Haridas Das, his father's name was Sanatan Malobrahma, and he was previously known as Bhairava. Babaji Maharaj came to Navadvi from East Bengal. He was a Paramahamsa Vaishnava who acted in the manner of an Avaduta. The word Avaduta refers to one who has shaken free from all worldly feelings and obligations. He does not care for social conventions, particularly Varnashram Dharma, and he is quite eccentric in his behavior. Nityananda Prabhu is often characterized as an Avaduta. Vamsidas lived in Navadweep under a tree on the banks of the Ganges, demonstrating a very high standard of renunciation. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Thakur was attracted by his Vaishnava behavior and his disregard for the rules and regulations of society at large. Srila Prabhupada himself paid his obeisances, this uh, Srila Prabhupada refers to Bhakti Siddhanta, paid his obeisances to Babaji Maharaj from a distance, but did not allow his disciples to associate with him. For though Babaji Maharaj was a Paramahamsa Vaishnava, an ordinary beginner in devotional practice would likely misunderstand his indifference to the rules and regulations and end up committing offenses at his feet. The primary purpose of the rules and regulations is to bring pleasure to Shishirada and Govinda. A practitioner who has yet, not yet overcome his mundane conditioning may very well judge an advanced Vaishnava according to rules and regulations, which were designed to help him advance to the next level of spiritual realization. If he measures a perfect, perfected soul by the standards that have been set for the beginner, there is a possibility of committing offenses that could result in fall down from a devotional path. It is said that Babaji Maharaj had two cloth bags. He kept his Nitai Gora deities in one, Radhagovinda in the other. He would regularly worship them, taking them out of the bags and serving them mentally with mantras. Then, when he had finished, he would place his deity, these deities back in the bags. On occasion, he would leave them outside so that people could look at them. Once in a while, he would offer tobacco to Radhagovinda in a hookah, but not to Nitai Goranga. Many people could uh, would come bringing offerings of rice, fruits, vegetables, flowers, or bananas, but Babaji Maharaj would ignore them. 
When he noticed an accumulation of such offerings, he would mentally offer them to his deities and then distributed remnants to whomever happened to be present. Who can understand such enigmatic behavior? Babaji Maharaj was tall enough to be able to pick fruits for his puja from, his, from the high branches of a tree without making use of ladders or other paraphernalia. On one occasion, he fell from a tree, and from that time on, he took on the guise of a lame person. He only wore a coping, a strip of cloth covering his private parts, and left his hair and beard uncut and unkept. Babaji Maharaj did not stay exclusively in the Navadvip area, but traveled to many holy places where he also performed his spiritual practices. He embodied the verse, Krishna Bhakti Rasa Bhavitamati, and wherever he went, he always remained immersed in the notion of Krishna Rasa. Everything reminded him of Krishna Lila, but especially the Pipal or Bata tree. Whenever he saw a Pipal tree, he would sit under it, taking it to be Bamsi Bata, under which Krishna played his flute to attract the gopis. Once he had stationed himself there, it would be difficult to get him to move. On the 12th day of Falgun, 1347, Monday, February 24, 1941, Bamsi Dasji left Koladweep, or present-day Navadweep city, and headed for Vrindavan. Sometimes he walked, sometimes traveled by Oxcar, and otherwise, by other times by rail. He first went to Katva, where he stayed for two days under a bata tree near the train station. Then he took the train to Bagalpur, where he stayed for one day under a bata tree near the station and for four days by the Ganges. Then he traveled on to Gaya, where he remained on the banks of the Falgur River for three days. He also stayed on a boat in the Ganges near Dasasvamedagat in Benares for three days, spent another three days in Ayodhya by the Sarayu, including three hours under a bata tree at the Triveni confluence at Prayag, blah, 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 etc., days here and there. Those who travel with Vamsidas recounted that when wandering through Brajamandal, he will sometimes sing songs about Krishna Lila, sometimes glorify Navadvipdam, sometimes laugh madly. Sometimes he will babble incoherently, and oftentimes he would remain completely silent. When visiting a temple, he was often seen muttering confidentially to the deities, disclosing some personal sentiments to them. All in all, his companions were charmed by his devotional absorption. In the old Gaudiya weekly magazine, further accounts of Babaji Maharaja's travels were given. After traveling to these places, some devotees from his birthplace in Majidpur invited him to come for a visit. He acquiesced to their enthusiasm but found little pleasure in going. He said that it was a place the Pandavas had neglected. Okay. Hmm? Um, I don't think so. Not here. Okay. So his disappearance was uh, the day of Shravan Shukla Chaturthi, which is yesterday. According to Haridasa, Vamsidas Babaji never locked his doors, even though he was asked to do so by his well-wishers. His house was thus regularly robbed. When asked why he didn't lock his door, Vamsidas said that it was Goranitai's responsibility to protect their own house and possessions. Sometimes he would chastise the deities for not stopping the thieves, but when he found that the pots of foodstuffs had been stolen. So this is a little summary of uh, Vamsidas Babaji's unusual, unusual house and behavior. Also, it doesn't say here, but Nobody ever saw him bathing and didn't smell bad. <laughs> <laughs>
at all. So, yeah, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta played cautiously, didn't want his disciples to associate with him because they will commit offenses. They will think he's just, you know, a hobo or some, something like that, and they will commit offenses. There was one time, in, uh, I was in Alachua with a, another friend of mine, and we had doubts about our devotee. This devotee was very eccentric, very, very eccentric. He, the only service he did was washing pots. He washed enormous amount of pots, and he, he really didn't speak with anybody. Uh, and he always had an enigmatic smile in his face. So we thought the smile was an indi- maybe an indication of Paramahamsa stage. So we decided to test it uh, and took the devotee away from the pots, sat him in a room, gave him a Bhagavad Gita and said, okay, we know your secret. Now, now you have to give Bhagavad Gita class to us, to the two of us. So he said, no, no. I said, yes, we, we know that you're totally absorbed in thoughts of Krishna and, and you, you have that secret, you have to spread some of the nectar. And uh, well, after some coercion, he conceded. He was a complete lunatic. He was completely incoherent and uh, the, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't he was absorbing thoughts of Krishna. He was, uh, he was cra- completely crazy. So we never know. But we wanted to make sure not to commit any offenses. Not, yeah. Sometimes the bodies are performing this external, externally they, they appear to be very advanced, but they are not, and vice versa. Um, there's this, um, who asked me to meet? Oh yeah, a, a friend of mine, who was doing service at the Goshala with Kurma Rupa Prabhu in Vrindavan, um, I told him that I, the next day I was going to Radhakunda, Shamakunda, and Govardhan. So he said, oh, there is someone you should meet there. His name is Jamuna, Jiva, Jamuna Jivana. He's a, he's a disciple, he's Canadian, disciple of Jagadish Maharaj, when Jagadish no longer um, was a guru, he left and came to Vrindavan. And he lived under a tree for about 10 years, <laughs> something like 10 years. Because the, the Brajavasis are skeptical about the whiteies coming over and just doing a show of devotion, you know, who are these people? They're born in Mlechadesh and they they have no piety, not enough piety to be become Brajavasis. But he actually stuck I think maybe seven years, maybe it wasn't ten years, so he lived under a tree until the Brajavasis started bringing him food and you know, I, they even gave him a temple, a temple of Prahlad next to Kusum Sarovar, and he started taking care of. And this this character will do parikram around Govardhan and Radhakunda and Shamakunda every day and chant 64 rounds. And without you know wearing a wearing a small cloth, so 
he, this, this friend of mine said, you have to meet him, you have to meet him. Yeah. So I, I went with other people and we were in, in Radakunda and I said, I, I don't know where to find him because he was always moving about. So I wanted to see my old friend Mahaniri Swami, so I, I, I know he had moved from where he, he used to be. So I asked, I asked someone that was walking by, I said, do you, do you speak English? He said, yes. Can you tell me where Mahanidi Swami is? I'm going in that direction. We can go together. Oh, that's great. And it happened to be Jamuna Jivana, that's the person I asked for, for directions. So, you know, Krishna arranged that we met and spent time together. Really, really nice super sweet, good-hearted devotee. And we sat by the banks of Radhakund and his realizations were actually very deep, very deep. See, actually, uh, it, was, it was not just uh, old show. It was not at all. He actually had true devotion and very good realizations. So um, you never know, you never know. So. Somebody may be a nut, or somebody may be very advanced, so we have to be very careful not to commit offenses. And we should discriminate and associate with those who are advanced. That's a recommendation of the scriptures and the acharyas. They say the most important thing to make advancement is to have sangha with those who are advanced. That's the most important. And the most detrimental thing is to associate with materialists, because they will tear away at your tender creeper of bhakti. And there is no coming back from that. You have to chant for many, many lifetimes in order to get the association of pure Vaishnavas again. So, let's talk. Yes. Mine's short. I just want to know what book that is that you read from. This is, uh, this is from the um, Gaudiya Mahas. One of them. It's called Shri Chaitanya, His Life and Associates. Yeah, this is from Mandala Publishing by Swami B.B. Tirta. Yeah. yeah, it is here. But otherwise, I can lend you my copy. Yeah, it's very good. It's a good, good read. Is your your family story? All of your relatives are in there. I was wondering about. If, if Lord Shiva doesn't have a house and Sati is, is used to, accustomed to royal life, I haven't heard it mentioned anywhere that she felt dissatisfied. I was wondering, is, it, is there any mention? Because I was thinking, well, if she was accustomed to a certain way of life, wouldn't she feel dissatisfied if she didn't have a house? Or, you know, but in this situation, she's, you know, vocalizing that she wants to go to this 
thing. So, um, yeah, I'm wondering. Uh, it wasn't mentioned that she was dissatisfied, and Lord Shiva did uh, sort of go along with what she was desiring. There is also the case of Sita that, you know, wanted to follow Lord Rama to the, to the forest and she, or Kunti Devi, who was a, a queen, they, um, they did it willingly. I don't think there was dissatisfaction in the, in the sense of, uh, you know, she was, I wish I had the right nail polish, you know, you, you buy me nothing, you know. I, as, I think they, uh, they voluntarily took it up because she was no ordinary woman, she was Durga, so she could have said no thanks when his fa father said, you know, you have to marry Lord, Lord Shiva. Um, she could have said no thanks. Well, but Brahma told me to, yeah, I don't care. I don't care how many heads he has. I, mine is harder than his. So I'm not going. Um, so you can see that there was, a, I don't think there was dissatisfaction. I think what there was is, is like a lingering, um, a lingering wish to hang out with the family. And, uh, and Lord Shiva had no, no intentions of ever, ever doing that, you know, going to family gatherings, anniversaries and bar mitzvahs and, you know, birthday parties and stuff like that. So she, she had to, she knew, she knew when she, what she was getting into and I think she accepted it, her faith, but fate, but it's for the purpose of Leela. Otherwise, you know, otherwise it would be a very, very short, the, the, the Vedic history will be very short and boring. Like, you know, the Mahabharata will be like, okay, and this guys decided to rebel against the Pandavas and Krishna just killed them all and the end. Yeah, that will be a very, very short Mahabharata and not very attractive. So Krishna is, because he's in the dramatic mood, he always creates his intrigues and creates his plots where people get, you know, all of a sudden this desire sprung, like, like Lord Indra, why would Indra become inimical to the inhabitants of Vrindavan? Or, or why would uh, why would Dhritarashtra not see, even though he was blind, that all the auspicious inauspicious signs were present when his son was born? Why all these things happened? Why did Narada accelerated? The, the descent of Krishna by telling Kamsa about the son of uh, Devaki coming to kill him. Because they, they're all part of a, this theater group, you know, that travels around with Krishna and creates all these sort of intrigues and mystery and mischief so Krishna can appear and perform his miraculous things with all his devotees. That's I think that's, that's more or less the explanation I have. I don't think he was, she was dissatisfied. She just got this 
to participate in the lila by having the by saying that. Anyone else? Mother Nidra, of course. We need your input. Thanks, Prabhu. So, uh, Lord Shiva is like an Abhidut type, and we have Vamshi Das Babaji Maharaj Abhidut and Lord Nityananda, and even devotees <laughs> in ISKCON. And so we have uh, we have a flair on one side for um, social uh, kind of um, ignoring the social etiquettes, and then yet the other side of being, you know, ladies and gentlemen, as Prabhupada wanted. So we have also, um, you know, this social side of conforming, but yet then a social side, a spiritual side of activism against the usual social. So could you say something about our um, kind of abadut social activism conformings <laughs> nature, <laughs> how, how we deal with these things in the world? Maybe this is this is what what the meaning of Prabhupada created a house in which everybody can live means that the avaduts and the neophytes and the advanced and the uh, sarakas and the square heads and th those who you know the, the niyamagrahas you know they can all li live together. It's not like they have to share the same room. Uh, but they can live together. The house is big enough. Um, it's actually, you have to actually decide who your association is. Of course, in your case, you, you're just past that and you can give your association to anybody you know, because, you know, it's a, it's a different story. But uh, we should choose our association carefully because it may be the last. You know, we may cut ourselves off by that. So, yes, the house, everybody lives in the same house, but it's like you go to the university and you take certain classes. You don't take all of them. You know, some are not for you. Uh, so just, you don't hang out, you know, nerds hang out with nerds and skateboarders with skateboarders and um, stoners with stoners, you know, just so this house is, is, is big. So we cannot pretend to be someone that we are not. So you cannot just because you're a, you're a weirdo and you join, you know, it automatically become an avadut in the movement. Uh, I don't think uh, it works that way. Um, there are certain quirks that you may have that they may be applicable in Krishna consciousness. But there are certain things that you, you cannot bring in. Uh, you know, you cannot become an avaduta because before you become one. You know, so if you, you know, if you don't bathe and you have, you know, you don't care about your appearance or your smell, but you're not advanced, then you're a bomb. You're not an, an avadut. And 
Yes, Lorne Tiananda was, you know, a rare exception, and he he was there performing mischief, broke Lord Chaitanya's danda after he's taking sannyas. You know, you don't do that to the personality of God. Eh? You don't go and break his danda after he's taking sannyas, eh? but he did, and he he did very unusual things, and it's not to be imitated. And even some of the things. Maybe we shouldn't read about it because they're very confusing. Like his relationship with Malini, uh, just very confusing. He acting as a child, though he was an adult. Um, yeah, the, the Abadutas are to. It's like, you know, superheroes. You read about it, but you don't try to imitate any of them. You know, you, you don't have the powers. Bamsidas was extraordinary and. Yeah, he didn't even talk to people. He would talk to his deities. And through his deities, we'll talk to them. It's just, that's it. And the sadakas, you know, sadaka, uh, sadhana bhakti is, is most crucial. It's our, it's our defense mechanism against maya. We don't have, if we don't have spontaneous love of God, then you better take shelter of your sanana because otherwise you have no protection. It's a vaccination against Maya. And don't think that because you, you know, you're punctual, uh, you, you're safe. You're not safe. You should always be fearful. I'm not doing enough. And this is, you know, it's, the more one advances, the worse one feels about one's uh, on prowess, it's, but it's, it's mixed with feelings of bhakti too. So it's not just all despondency and depression. So, but the more, the more, when you when you join the movement, you think you're the most advanced bhakta ever. You know, nobody ever joined the movement and made advancement so fast as as we did. Yeah. But then as time goes by, you know, after you're over the first five years, then you realize, yeah, maybe I'm not as advanced as I thought. And then as years go by, you feel, oh my God, I'm so far. I'm so far. I'm so fallen. I don't even know the extent. I don't, even Krishna being omniscient doesn't know the extent of my fallen nature. This is... Uh, so, and... and and as you, as you get these feelings, actually, this is a very powerful cleanser that cleanses your heart and makes it softer. Just like Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he, he was convinced, I mean, this is, it, it was not a pose, that he was uh, the only one not serving Krishna. Everybody else was serving Krishna except for him. He was the most fallen. He felt that. I mean, we may say this, oh, I must fall in Prabhu, you know. But we don't really feel it we, because we look around and say, no, but that guy is definitely more fallen than I am, even though I don't say that. But the advanced devotees, they, they really feel it. They really feel it. And, and the gopis, the most advanced devotees, they, they feel they, Krishna is not theirs. I mean, they want them, to, but they, they feel like I, I have no way to attract Krishna. So let me help this other devotee. 
because they they have a chance. I don't have a chance. So this is very difficult. So I don't know if I answer your question, but yeah, I did. In the midst of that. Yeah, so, so beware. Beware of false avadutas. And beware, beware of uh, super strict sarakas. You know, we've been around the block a few times, you and I, and so we saw a lot of people come and go. That they, they seem like shining stars. Or we also saw people that looked like this person is not going to make it and they're still around. There's no material explanation to that. You know, Krishna has his own policies about who, who he keeps and who he sends away for a while. So be careful, that's all. Prabhu, let's be short, it's 9.09. Thanks for the class, Prabhu. Just, um, I just wanted to, well, well thank you for, ta for tackling the, the purport, and I wanted to encourage devotees. Uh, there's nothing online, right? There's no comments or questions? No. Yeah, I just wanted to encourage devotees that when we hear statements like we find in these purports, we're meant to actually approach them and not mentally kind of shy away from them. So I think it's really important that when you come away from a section that has purports like this, you should feel like you can give a class on that yourself. If you can't, then you should be raising your hand in the class and asking and revealing your doubts. That's why we're here. So there's another one coming up in a couple of days. I looked ahead. I'm giving class on Monday, so I looked at the purport. If you have any doubts about these things, if you don't know exactly what Prabhupada means and doesn't mean, then you should bring it up. And um, yeah, just, just encouragement, because we don't always have the association of great devotees like Sarvatma Prabhu who have these realizations. We should take them. Unless we already have full conviction, in which case, great. <laughs> but in my experience, usually devotees, if asked on the spot to explain these statements, often cannot. They often really can't. So it's important that we uh, have our own doubts clarified first so that we can actually help others. That's part of our service to humanity. Otherwise, we just end up... I see this tendency. We end up overlooking and, and glossing over certain sections of the Bhagavatam and other books and we personally don't feel comfortable addressing them because we haven't addressed within ourselves what Prabhupada actually means. And that becomes an impediment actually in our, in our advancement. So, thank you. Thank you to all of you for your patience and determination, courage to stay through thick and thin. And please, uh, if you haven't so far, and I imagine you have, uh, take Krishna consciousness seriously because it's the only thing that will actually make you happy. Uh, if you happen to make Radha Govinda happy, you will be happy. If you try to make yourself happy in either, any other way, you will fail. You will fail. We got it. Okay. Thank you, Prabhu, for class. Um, just as you were talking and describing these situations, um, you know, something came up. I spoke to my son today on the phone, and he, he brought up the fact that 
He said, Mom, if you haven't noticed, the world is burning. And I, I said to him, what do you mean? And he said, you know, it's really changing out there. I mean, he works in corporate. He's um, very dedicated, hardworking and all that, but he really, he feels that. And I thought, you know, Krishna, how do I, you know, protect, I can't protect him, you know, you can protect him, you can show him. But, you know, the fact that he made that statement, and sometimes when we're here, when we're amongst all the devotees, and we have that family, we have that protection, you don't sense, you, we sense it in the, in the way that we know what Maya is, but we may not sense it as someone who's out there, you know, experiencing the day-to-day um, environments. So I thought that was kind of profound, what he said, because it meant that he's really paying attention to what's happening in the, you know, that the world is changing. And uh, I, I just pray for him. And, uh, and, and I feel comforted, you know, by being here, too. So, regards to family. Just a little disclaimer. Um, we do know that the world is burning, and that's. But we knew it before anybody else knew. So that's why we are here, just because the world is. Even if if this wave of uh, hatred and bigotry and dismay and economic collapse and disease and everything goes away is still burning and is coming to a, to a sudden halt. So we just have to keep in the back of our minds that we are simply taking time to, to heal so we can actually help others. Just like a medic that is bleeding to death cannot help the other soldiers that are bleeding first. So we are actually getting, getting special time where we actually can deepen our determination and devotion so we can go out and help others. But we are a missionary movement. We are not uh, meant to live in the Himalayas and meditate in, in our in the solitude of our caves. So yeah, the world is burning and it will continue to burn even after the, this virus goes, goes away. Even if the, the world becomes a wonderful place, it's still burning, it's still coming to an end. Yeah? Okay, thank you. Glory to Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna.